How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jake. And you're listening to the Cinema Side Show Podcast, episode 135. Zeke, we're in a, this is a massive problem. My Word document isn't going in front of my browser. Oh, there it goes. There we go. It's, there it's we go. safe. You have two oh, no. screens. How did you somehow there manage to mess this up? <laughs> I want it all on one screen, Zeke. Well, that's confusing. Why would you have two screens? I have, I have two 32-inch monitors, one of which has the Audacity program, mm. like really thin. Yes. So it covers like one-sixth of the screen. And I have a bunch of junk on my other screen. That doesn't yes. need to be there. Yes, it's a lot of mess. But, How uh, you doing, Jake? Yeah, I'm good. I'm I'm doing all right. I'm I've had a I I did a did a six out and six. Jeez, I did a nine hour wedding yesterday, but I'm not stiff, which is good. Doesn't mean I didn't work hard. Yes, I'm sure you worked very hard. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but yeah, I'm doing all right. Yeah. Just 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 relax. It's a Sunday sesh. Yeah, it is a Sunday sesh. Um, but it's good because like we've been we've been doing good on time lately. Sunday. Sunday night. I think last week got it up at eight in the morning Monday, which is pretty ideal. Doesn't get much better than starting your week with a bit of us. A bit of <laughs> exactly, a bit of us talking to you, the audience. <laughs> very radio announcer esque. <laughs> oh, very good. Well, Zeke. Yes. We were joking before we recorded, and I said something which turned out, I guess, to be your film trivia of the week. Well, that was one of them. Now I that can mention that on the show, but I will say another one too. But okay. to start off with okay. that one because I would like to have a little bit of surprise for you, Jake. Yes, of course. So obviously we're talking about the film of the week and our latest direction uh, d- uh director's corner. Mm. Um Denis Villeneuve, as we found. Yeah. Uh, we had to check that pronunciation. I'm glad we did because we would I would have called him Denise or Deniz. I think a lot of people do though. Yeah, that's that's a fair assumption. Um about <laughs> uh, Blade Runner 2049, which yes. uh, will, you know, this episode goes hand in hand with our Blade Runner 1982 version. Um, yeah, film. from just 10, 10 episodes ago. So that's pretty cool that we'll have back to back to back on that one. Yeah. Um, pretty close proximity. Um, so, bit of film trivia for you. So, the one I told you yes. before the show was in order to portray a blind character, Neander Wallace, Jared Leto decided to find himself uh, with opaque contact lenses that made it nearly impossible to see. And obviously, mm, this, this you know, came off me making a joke about how Zeke and all your Jesusness presence. Yes, that you could probably play that role better with your eyes closed. It's a joke I made, in which you replied with that fact. Which... Well, it was pretty, pretty good comeback. <laughs> that was um, pretty. Felt very planned. <laughs> um, yeah, it would have been great if it was on the show. But yes, obviously, Jared Leto, infamous for his uh, method method mm, acting. Mm particularly in the 2017 Suicide Squad period of time, um, which ties into last week's episode. Yeah, a little um, bit, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll be talking a little bit about him and the show, you know, that a little later in the show. But, Jake, I'm sure you have another fact for us. Yeah, I can't, you know what? Since you, since you mentioned it, that we did the original Blade Runner 10 weeks ago, exactly, episode 125 instead of 135, let's say I have two bits of trivia. I have a trivia that's tied to this show. Sure. And I'll go with the regular tri- uh, trivia. Of course... There's a very special date that's constantly referenced in Blade Runner 2049, mm-hmm. the 10th of June 2021, which is not only my birthday this year, so that's pretty cool, but that is the week, the same week that we did Blade Runner. No, it's not. That same week. No, it's not. I will bring up the ca- the calendar. I'm going to calculator right now. If I scroll back, we are currently in August. Here's June. June 14th is when we did our Blade Runner episode. It's also the Queen's birthday in Australia, except Queensland, according to my computer. And... Wait a sec. This is June. Oh, wait a sec. No, June twenty. No, I'm an idiot. June tenth. So it would have been June seventh when we did the podcast. And I'm gonna bring it up on my phone to make sure I'm not fibbing. 
or that's joking. pretty crazy. Because I feel like I would have picked up on that had I seen 2049 when we did the original Blade Runner episode. What are the odds? That's pretty insane. I'm going to quickly... Mm. I can't even scroll down. Are we down replicants? Are we just designing a... Ooh, yeah. don't, 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 don't break my brain like that. Because mm. I'm going to start to... Here we go. 7th of June, Blade Runner. The same week as the 10th of June, which is that Thursday. That is low-key mind-blowing. So we know that this film... Uh, talks about all of his events happening on a Thursday. Yeah. Ah, exactly. We know that. Also, Jake's 24th birthday. (laughs) That is pretty crazy. The other bit of trivia I wanted to mention, and this isn't something that I... I actually sort of actively... I wonder if this is the case. So I actively looked it up. You can easily find the script to this film on Google. And my theory was correct. The script page count is significantly shorter than the film length. The film is 163 minutes which you would imagine translate to a 163-page script. The script is actually only 108 pages. I could buy that. There are a lot of long, pensive silences yeah. in this film. And the script, some of the action be- beats are very, very simple. Yes. Falls over balcony, runs downstairs, person disappears. Like, very simple language, which is yes. quite interesting. This film most definitely takes its sweet, merry time. Um, mm, and yeah. isn't ready. Um, yeah, but we'll talk a little bit about it later in the the thing but uh, Jake I'm sure you want to pose me a question yes I will do you Zeke think and this is probably the first time in a long time this question I feel like could go either way the poster behind you Zeke 1100 films you must watch at least once in your lifetime is this on the poster no it is what it is yeah it's like the second or last row Blade Runner 2049 wow yeah well do you think it should be on the poster which is a new part of the question no um, wow. wow. Okay. No, no, not in, not in my eleven hundred that you have to watch right. before you die. I think that's the important distinction. Um, but we'll get a little bit. You know, we'll get into a bit more yeah. detail later in the show. Yeah, Jake, have you caught anything in the last week? Yeah. So, um, in in light of our director's corner, the only films I've watched in the last week were films from our director of the week. So I watched sure. Sicario and Prisoners for the first time ever. <laughs> that's a good week oh it is a good week so i'll start with sicario i watched that first sure i'm also more familiar with it because of course it's tied to the tyler sheridan trilogy the americana trilogy mm-hmm. if you will um and i gotta say this is probably my least favorite of the three i agree it's Com- fine okay i mutually agree with that yeah cool and uh, of course that's a high bar let's clarify very that. high i'm saying that's a it's a Great top three. Yeah, well, exactly, exactly. I think Hell or High Water, Wind River, they're excellent, excellent films. Yeah. I think this falls a little short for me, even though it's a valiant part of that trilogy, because I think it just sort of doesn't have that connective tissue that I could relate to it. And not that I can relate to neo Western modern Americana films for their tones or anything like that, because yeah. I mean we don't live in America and we don't live those sort of Western cowboy styles, mm-hmm. if you will, uh, that th- that these films relish in, but. There was something about those other two films that I connected with that I that I recognized was like wow there's a real human story in I, both of them. I think um in the other two big element of why those films are as prominent and and successful and profound as they are is mm. the environment is such a big part of the other two's plot. Um okay and okay I think that's Sicario, a good pickup. the second one actually reflects a little bit more of the landscape but this that one in particular, doesn't um, really push that sort of New Mexico uh, outlaw society as mm. much as as the other two do. I think the drastic climates of 
um, sort of middle of nowhere Texas and middle of nowhere Wyoming mm. play into both of the plots of Hell or High Water and, and Wind River, respectively, and yeah. actually are a character unto themselves in those. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Even the iconography of Wind River, like, I can picture that film so well. Yeah. And not that I can't picture Sicario, and I think it does, it still does that well in a way. Like the, the yeah. scenes where, you know, that squad of cars is sort of just driving through the city and, and not a lot is happening narrative wise but you are getting a sense of the city and like the locals the bumps on the road that they're like going bloody 60 kilometers an hour of those bumps like there there is uh environmental storytelling happening there but i agree it it does it's not a character in and of itself i mean i agree with that in particular i think it's because our main characters explore the environments intrinsic like it's Mm. intrinsic to the plot like for Jeff Bridges' character in Hella Hawaii Water, like sitting in the, the middle of the dead of nowhere town, watching the bank, waiting for the brothers to come while going to that <laughs> diner and that woman saying, well, you can only have this kind of one bit of food, basically. <laughs> um, like, And then in Wind River, it's you know, it's Renner and, and uh, you know Elizabeth Olsen sort mm-hmm. of exploring, and particularly Olsen, who knows nothing of this sort of lifestyle out in the middle of um, you know rural Wyoming. She's so good in it. Um, so good in it. It's very interesting because you know people treat her appropriately, and yeah, it's it's fantastic. And I think Blunt's really good in Sicario. Mm. I think she's um, it's a really strong performance from her. But there were probably better performances from her in the last couple of years, and for a lot of them, I think uh, I think Benicio del Toro is the best part of um, Sicario. He's, he's great in it. He did he get nominated? He did. Cool, yeah. cool. Glad I'm great. Glad to hear that. He's easily the best part of it. It's interesting, yeah, because obviously you have Kate, so Emily, Emily Blunt's character. I it's sort of it, it's a little more subtle, but like the the, the visual language, the dialogue, the, the the subtle dialogue exchanges between her and the male counterparts. Yeah. I think she's the only female speaking role in the film, mm-hmm. um, which uh, I could be wrong on that, but that's what I remember of it. It reminded me a bit of Silence of the Lambs, the way yeah. they treat Jodie Foster in, in that film, and that she's very clearly a woman in a man's world trying to do this investigative stuff and here they kind go kind of deep with it because the whole thing is her being much like we as the audience we're sort of trying to piece together what in the world we're getting tied into yeah and i think that's a great part of the story is getting those little bits from your allies i think in this one she definitely gets checked a little bit more like jodie foster kind of conquers the world in silence of the lambs to an extent right um but it's in it's in the way they frame the scenes and the like little it both films are quite nuanced in the way they do it yeah um, I think this film's even more nuanced in the way they do it, but it's it's definitely a factor. The fact that her is like the only woman on the team. I mean, it's the fact that I don't want to get into spoilers, but the, you know she is used as bait in a particular scene mm. um, for one very great cat. I know that you you love and adore this actor who got his five minutes of sunshine in this film, and yeah, you're still waiting for a full role or a lead role for this great. particular actor. But um, I think like those things. Uh, they they do reflect like her gender in the story and i think that's cool the way they do that um and again like just piecing together the story and learning just how deep and dark and and it becomes a western you know there's that joke of like oh this is the bar full of cowboys Mm. but that's where the western element and there's a western element in all three of these films from tyler sheridan but in this one it really comes from just not being able to do it by the book that's her desire but everyone around it, that's not their desire. They need it. It's justifying a means to the end, which I, I really appreciated. And it has something to be said. This is Villeneuve's only film that he directed from Tyler Sheridan. Still waiting script. on that John Bernthal. 
<laughs> we're still waiting on it. He's coming. He's coming, coming soon. Yeah, He's yeah, coming. yeah. He got his little five minutes in Wind River. He got his five minutes in Sicario. Yeah, no, exactly right. Yeah. And um, it's cool seeing Daniel Coulier in a film before he like really took. Yeah, off. I know. Yeah, because he's right in the very first scene. I was like, oh, nice. And I, I was like, I was proud that he kept getting scenes. Yeah, he's sort of sidelined, but then they bring him back, and he, yeah, yeah, he's he's great at it. He's great. Yeah. Very early as well, from I think. Very uh, pre Get Out for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, pre Get Out. Um. Pre, oh, definitely Judas and the Black Messiah. Pre, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. that's what I was thinking as well. I was like, nah, should I say Judas that? is the one that's, that's put him on the map, like for sure. Yeah, like, well, it, yeah, it's his Oscar-winning performance. Yeah, like th- that's it. It's no, it's no enough said. Yeah, that's all. You so need to say. prisoners. Yeah, I was gonna say. So, um, speaking of a story about justifying a means to an ends, is prisoners, which of course is the earliest film he did that I've seen. I know we've done some other films, but in terms of like that top tier, Prisoners, Sicario, mm. Arrival, which we've both seen, of course, already. Yeah. So mm. probably not going to talk too much about Arrival no. on this episode. But we both outright say it's probably his best work. Yeah, I think it's either that or, or Prisoners, mm. I reckon. I think Prisoners, it's interesting. So I only watched this today. Yeah. And it's so re- you know renowned and every pretty much everyone in my family is so like, Jake, you need to watch the bloody film. You're kidding yeah. me. I think the film was contextually important at the time because it really broke Hugh Jackman away from the X Men films at the mm. time too. That was really important because although he had yeah, done a, he'd done a lot then too, he was really in the stuff. middle of the the sort of the X Men train of just absurd. I think he'd just done Origins at this point too. He'd well, done, that's he did Origins. That was 2009, and I think The Wolverine, I think, was maybe the same year as Prisoners. Mm. If I'm not so, mistaken. I think we were getting um, Hugh Jackman fatigue from his sort of superhero rung. So mm. it was really cool to see him in a film that completely and utterly threw him out of his depth and kind of removed that superhero mantra to an extent. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah, 2013, The Wolverine. So you're right. Like, the, he was very synonymously Wolverine yeah. at this point. And, like, yeah, he's done other roles. But I think I, you're right because this is... You know, people talk about his performance in Logan. Yeah. And I'm not going to debate which one's better out of these two because I'm not in a position to make that call yet, what I think. But in terms of having that role where he's allowed to be, like, genuinely scary, mm-hmm. not just, like, you know, Wolverine with claws, but, like, he is frightening yeah. in this film. Like, it's it's kind of sick because yeah. you hear that story of Bill Bird talking about the scene he did with him in... um, oh, What's that film where he's, he plays, like, a... Not a mayor or, like, a government guy, but... Let me actually find out because I got Hugh Jackman right here in my. Um, I know which one you're talking about. You've um, seen it. I've you've seen, seen this it. film. Um, oh man, you've completely. It is. It is not up here on the top of his list. Holy crap! It's like a campaign one. I know which one you're talking about. Oh, this might be a spoiler, but apparently he's in Free Guy. That's cool. Look at that. He's in Free Guy with Ryan Reynolds, which is going to come up later in the show. Why can't I find this bloody movie? He was some sort of politician figurehead. And he did a scene with Bill Burr, and Bill Burr, like, crapped his pants, and it's on, it's, like, in the film. What is going on? It's not in here. I, I'm, I'm Let gonna, me, you know what, I'm going to swap it from film popularity to newest first. Yes, do that. This would do it. This would do the trick. Should be in, like, the top or second row. Bad education, missing link. What the heck? Dude, did we imagine? Oh, the front runner. That's it. The po- It's just a really abstract poster. That's what it is. There we go. The front. Okay. That's the one with Jason Reitman. Yeah, yeah. So B- Bill Burr talked about doing a scene with him where he like dropped his his little pen book thing because he generally crapped himself from him just being Wolverine and being scary mm. on camera, and that's like in the film now, which is great. I still got to watch it. Um, it's a good. It's a good film. Yeah, 
Looks like um, he hasn't aged it. as well because Louis C.K. has a really big role in it. Obviously, oh. with everything with Louis C.K. <laughs> is a little bit weird now in hindsight. Yeah, yeah. Um, Whoopsie doodles. That's all I'm going to say. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I find that really because, you know, it's like you know, we've always talked about the artists and the, you know, the art and the artists and stuff, but it is very tough to watch Louis C.K. stuff now. I, I really, really struggle with it mentally. Yeah. Um, well, that's fair enough. Just out of context. But, yeah, look, to be honest, it, obviously, yeah, given the context of the time when Prisoners came out, it was really refreshing to see him in that role. Unfortunately, I saw the film when it came out, and I haven't seen it since, so... Yeah. Uh, um, it, it would be a treat to rewatch it, because, I mean, there's a lot of really clever things they do, particularly the writing, and, like, in the their little plants and payoffs, is just, it's really clever, yeah. a lot of how that works, and the back and forth. And what I really appreciated was the first like half an hour I was like oh I see what this is it's like it's a well renowned film but it's a straight crime thriller in the vein of Zodiac or Seven those films that are really well renowned but I personally don't I I don't get the hype for them because they're just straight crime dramas Mm. the entire plot is revolved around just detecting and figuring out who the the criminal is and Mm. there's you know interesting psychology in and itself with that yeah but I always find that well usually it's like it's like the second or third act by the time you actually meet the criminal. Half of that, you don't even know they're the real criminal. So it's like the psychology, mind games. is going. I just It's hard for me to get into that plot. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, Prisoners, it kind of seems like it's going in that direction with Jake Gyllenhaal's um, character and it really focusing on him. But once we get back to the Hugh Jackman stuff and realize his role in the story as a father who would do quite literally anything to yeah. try and find his daughter again and how far he takes that is just excellent it's pretty crazy yeah it, yeah it's a it's a wild film a fantastic script definitely, definitely felt like sort it. of the equivalent of like your chris evans coming out of that superhero fatigue and then realizing oh these guys can do other things too right. like well i mean hugh jackman's been around forever and he's i mean he's done like the musicals and everything he's a very talented guy and yeah. it's a shame that he he's sort of on the other end of it where a lot of mcu actors especially the ones that are out now, like Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans, they're free to do other stuff now and, like, reclaim a new, um, I guess, face. Yeah. Um, I don't know how else to put it. I mean, Daniel Radcliffe, you know, he was Harry Potter, but then he, I don't think he's Harry Potter anymore. He's the guy who does, like, mm. weird, kooky shit that's really interesting. That's, he, I think he's a generally great to actor. A, to, to an extent, I wouldn't say that so much with Daniel Radcliffe yet. Uh, I think it's... I mean, it's nice seeing him do all of the... the but it's like the exposure that those kookier stuff. Are. I think someone like um, you know uh, Robert Patterson has now completely repurposed himself. Right. I mean that, that's a great example there, and I and I think Hugh Jackman sort of well he's on that train where he was the Wolverine. Yeah. And now's a good chance for him to and he's done these other films. You know he's done the Front Runner and Prisoners and this other stuff. Mm. I mean Greatest Showman of course. But I, I think I think in terms of that mold, he's still coming out of there. But that's me. I wasn't thinking about any of that, sure. like when watching this film, because I just I thought it was a fantastic straight crime thriller that, yeah, perfectly dwells into all the messed up stuff that as a parent you would want to do to find your child. I did notice a few things. First off, the first shot is literally just the um the first shot from the furnace, which I mean, prisoners predates all of the stuff that I'm about to mention. Yeah, just but I I noticed that was quite funny. And also the soundtrack from Johan Johansson, who's I think has passed away now, sadly. His track Escape, which I'm going to say is very overused in this film. Probably overused because I recognize it so quickly. It's the exact same music from the Uncharted 4 trailer 
that came out at E3 years and years ago, which I thought was quite funny. I recognized it immediately. I was like, I know this bloody track. And then they use it over and over and over again. Must be a good track. <laughs> it's a little overused, but it, it's a great film. So, But it's interesting in terms of Villeneuve's direction with these two films. They're both quite restrained. Because if you think about his direction in Arrival and Blade Runner in particular, it's a bit more... I don't want to say showy. I mean, we'll get to Blade Runner soon, but it's more... The, the cinematography feels more grand. It feels more epic. Okay, yeah. These films I, don't I think the visual... The lens has changed, but the, the way the actors perform is the same. It's, it, mm. it's strangely, in a lot of his films, the, the restraint his actors show and the, the real emphasis on um, absence of dialogue is huge in mm. all four of the films that you've just mentioned. I mean... Right. Arrival, it's an integral part, communication or the lack of communication mm. to, to the plot. and Brilliant, brilliant stuff. Oh, it's just... There's <laughs> a fist pump. Zeke did a fist pump um, for our audio listeners. And He's not just drinking crispy drink. <laughs> <laughs> Finish my crispy cream. Um, but like that, and then Blade Runner, as you talked about, the 108 pages compared to the 163 minutes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, that's direction right there. That's not the writing that does um, that. And, you know, we can, we'll can we dive into those a little bit more, and I definitely think there's a bit more flair in those latter films, for sure, in terms of uh, cinematic lens and sure, but um, I definitely think he likes not over-cluttering dialogue, and he likes characters to really emote a lot more with without dialogue, mm. with, with intention and body language and, and action. I mean, I think Benicio de Toro's character in Sicario is... is uh, particularly in day of you know he, he really puts the foot down with his character of absence of dialogue because yeah, in Deus Lado there are huge looks. yeah there are huge blocks of him just not saying anything and just doing things mm. um and I don't know if I think that's him really believing in the whole show don't tell way of storytelling yeah. well he's a great visual director period um and we'll, we'll dive a little bit more on that in yeah. the second half of the show but um it's interesting because um, I think Sakari probably has the most words and the most dialogue, yeah. But that's probably more a credit to Sheridan's writing than than you know Villeneuve's yeah. direction. And he still finds ways to incorporate, like I said, these long stoic pauses and stuff. Because um, you know that's an interesting kind of clash of styles there. Because I, I think Sheridan, although he likes long pauses too, actually, I mean he's not absent of them. Um, there are whole periods in Wind River and, and um, Hella Highwater where there's next to no dialogue and it allows the landscape to kind of tell the story, which is why I think those two films, the, the landscape is a character unto itself. Yeah. Um, and it's I, it's interesting because Prisoners is, for me, out of those four films, those Villeneuve films, the one that kind of feels a little out of place compared to the other the other the others, mm-hmm. I think. Um. Well, it's it's his earliest work, and I think, I think as a director, and I'm talking specifically about the way he uses the camera, is really restrained in both of those films. Sicaria, there are those like helicopter or you know drone shots, depending on how early it was, uh, where it does sort of sweep through the suburbs in like this maze rise, maze like fashion. Holy crap! Uh, and then you see the spanning desert outside of it. Like those shots yeah. are really cool when he lets that just digest. But comparatively to Arrival, where they have these sweeping shots inside the monolith, and it's like he really plays with scale and scope in that film. And Prisoners and Sicario, you really can't to that extent. Yeah. 
You can do the helicopter shots in Sakara. It's very claustrophobic. Yes. Very yeah, tight. Absolutely. Um, and, um, you know, we've talked a lot about Jackman's performance in that, but Gyllenhaal was also very, you know, reserved and, and you know, we know he's quite capable of being quite um, rambunctious and, mm. and, and loud as a character. So it's really cool to see him in this incredibly reserved pre-Nightcrawler um, performance. Yeah. So Just barely. This might have been the film right before Nightcrawler. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good stint there. Good, good, good block for him. <laughs> um, well, I personally haven't caught anything of note in the last week. Um, I got halfway through watching Kissing Booth three. I will not talk about that this week <laughs> on the show. Um, awesome. And nor do I have much to say about the first half that I watched. So we'll just probably keep moving forward here. <laughs> <laughs> that's you awesome. don't mind, Jake? No, that's totally fine. Well, we get life's been busy. It's going to be a very villainy focused podcast um the puerile director's yeah, corner exactly exactly well in terms of career updates if either of us have some i've actually so my vimeo page that we used to sell disconnected on i just let that expire obviously since discontinuing clicker so i've actually reorganized that so now it's just a free page with six videos that you can go ahead and enjoy at your leisure and that includes films that we co-directed like faces in the crowd and cradle uh, but then the other stuff that I've, I've directed, like X Rental and Disconnected, and I got to say, I rewatched X Rental, and it was really interesting because I f- I was far enough removed from it now uh, to actually kind of watch it and be like, oh yeah, this, oh yeah, that. But the one thing I was shocked by was uh, one of the subjects, uh, Matt, who ran Video Easy now fan base. Uh, so it was a documentary about video stores and closing and that. And I didn't realize, which is funny, because like I shot this, I interviewed him, I edited this, I did all of that. But I didn't realize just how potent and scarily relevant, specifically what he was talking about in the doco, about people digesting things as content and not being able to differentiate the difference between content and film and stories and TikToks. And that all sort of melds together in this thing that you can just watch on your phone now. Mm. Um, and I thought he was sort of going on a random rant about people being on their phones and not engaging with the community. And rewatching it, being like, wow, I've been saying this for like six months. He's been saying it for years. And that's in that doco. And I just had to point it out because it was, it was a bit of a mind blow. You a shaman. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. But that's all on Vimeo now. So if you want to look it up. Clicker Productions Vimeo. It's all up there. Easy to find now. Fantastic. Well, it is time for us to move into our film of the week and latest director's corner. Jake, who's the director and what are we watching? This week on the show, we're talking about Denis Villeneuve. I'm getting rid of the S. So it's Denis or Denis Villeneuve. Blade Runner 2049. Every leap of civilization built off the back of slaves. Replicants are the future, but I can only make so many. I had the luck, and he has the key. I think I found him. That's not possible. If this gets out, we've bought ourselves a war. You're a cop. I did your job once. Things were simpler then. What do you want? I want to ask you some questions. What happened? I covered my tracks. Scrambled the records. 
we were being hunted. By who? They know you're here. Kay, an officer with the Los Angeles Police Department, unearths a secret that could create chaos. He goes on a search in for a former Blade Runner who has been missing for over three decades. Three decades? Three Why, decades. that's today! Three whole decades. Why, it's Christmas, sir! <laughs> Did someone say Roger Deakins? Roger Deakins, yeah, who shot, I think he shot Prisoners and Sicario, so they have a good relationship. Yeah. Those boys. Someone bust out some cinematic arts film stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, look, we've been talking about Villeneuve, and um, I sort of teased it to you off the show. We can you actually, did. We can get into it now. So, i got I got to clarify. So, this was the first time you've seen 2049 this You week. are correct. Okay. Okay. Um, so, it was the first time for me, too. And, of course, so we both did our Blade Runner discussion 10 weeks ago, only just talking about that one movie. And... It's gonna. This is gonna be a good discussion because yes. I watched it. I think two nights ago, and I was very excited because this has been a long time coming. I wanted to see this in the theaters years ago. I I did too, yeah. and I've had it on DVD for about two and a half years, and yeah. I've watched a collection of scenes from it, yeah. but never watched it in its full. Uh, okay, okay. See, I I was pretty blind, other than just like what people would post to Facebook, the classic screen grabs. Those like beautiful. Here's, here's cinematography at its finest sort of moments those best films of the last decade montages you see those shots I'm holding the Blu-ray right now so I've had this forever too and I was very excited gotta say I walked out pretty shocked at how <laughs> this is gonna be a really tough film to talk about and this is gonna be a good conversation mm. but majoritively I was pretty disappointed with a lot of it. I don't think it's a bad film, but I, there's a lot in here that just made me go, I I just don't like what they're doing with this, I guess franchise is not the right word to call it, but I well, you, t- you tell me what you take on um, this first. So I think the first film, you know, we did 10 weeks ago, mm. has gotten to a state of mythos with its sci-fi roots i think uh, if you just have a open discussion of what were the best sci-fi films of all time blade runner the 1982 version mm. is always included in that conversation it's it's a, fair to say it's in the top five for a lot of people academically speaking um especially from a film theorist point of view um and from just a film a collective film as in its uh, entirety, um, I think most people will hallmark, you know, it's in the conversation with that and Alien and the original Star Wars film. And if it's sci-fi, it's one of the, particularly in terms of art, art sci-fi films, it's mm-hmm. definitely one that has provoked conversation and discussion for three, four decades. And for you to say that to me about this sequel film... I can actually see where you're coming from. Okay. I can. Because there are parts of this film that do disappoint me. Um, and it's very tough because from a visual... I You know, it's it's funny because it's like... I had a lot of critiques for 1917, which was another okay. Deacon's you know, cinematic work. And from a cinematic point of view, it's like that's a huge accomplishment, that film. And right. I think this film is much like that. From a cinematic point of view, from a pure cinematographer 
director of photography. This film is just, it's a work of art in terms of its colors and, and stuff like that. Uh, the story is, it's, compared to its you know, predecessor, which, you know, really talks about that fundamental ideology of, of, of humanity and does it in a way where it's time pressured and um, follows its more traditional noir roots. Um, this film does lack that a little bit because Kay is never inherently a bad person at all in, mm. in this. So it actually goes against traditional uh, noir roots and genre conventions, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I just think that Kay is not as compelling as Deckard was. In, I a thousand percent agree with that, and um, I think I, I it's funny because I wasn't even looking at it from the noir standpoint, but in terms of of genre, I I saw where it went, but like every time you kept mentioning story, I'm half tempted to make the joke, "What story?" <laughs> there is here's the thing: there is a story here. Oh, it's a cohesive story. There this. is a cohesive story. It and this is why I looked up the script length. Yeah, and I, and I'm not trying to be sort of an asshole about it. But this film is way too long, way too long for the story it's telling. And that is right there purely in the script. The script has 108 minutes of story. And as much as I'm an advocate for letting scenes breathe, for letting moments like play out, for giving things time, for liking The Irishman for being three and a half hours, but that film also has three and a half hours worth of story. And there, the first hour of this film... I was, I'm like, what is happening? This is, there is, there is so much fluff. And I think part of it is we talk about the cinematography and like, it's a technical achievement and it's gorgeous to look at those screen grabs. But I'm sitting here thinking, what's it doing that the first film didn't? And is it even motivated? There are a lot of moments where the lighting is not motivated nearly as well as it is in the first film. And we talked about this exact thing in the original Blade Runner you know we talked about how oh they need to do the test like in darkness or, or they need a certain amount of light in the room to do the test that's their excuse to bring the blinds up and like let the background come in or to or to drain the light to take it out mm. or when a spotlight is coming through an abandoned hotel and it creates these interesting shapes well that's motivated because they've established these flying cruisers and yeah. they're looking for the replicants so the spotlight comes through it's motivated and the amount of times I sat here watching this film and yeah, it's gorgeous, and like they have these super symmetric hallways, and like the the obsessive orange use is it's very interesting and colorful and aesthetically pleasing. A lot of the orange is the orange is motivated though, like I, yeah, but I, it's motivated by interior designs and only interior designs. Like it's motivated because there's a light in the corner, and like yeah, that, that's a literal motivation. But I'm like, why? Why is it orange? Mm. Like why really? And I know it's very picky, and I will say, this must be the most daunting thing in the world to be asked to direct this movie. So I'm not sitting here... I actually really like that we've chosen to do this film when we've chosen to do this film Mm. with Dune slowly approaching on the horizon because I really think there's going to be quite a lot of comparisons between the two films. Mm. Oh, Um, for sure. um, So I really think we've timed this well with this review. Um, And I'm with you. I am with you. Um, I think... Um, the blues and oranges and the pinks, they're the three major colours that are used. Um, they're, they're gorgeous and they're pretty. And this comes back to 
my problem with 1917 kind of resonates in this film too. I think it's that style over substance thing because I'm with you. A thousand I think, percent, yeah. I think 163 minutes, that's an epic when it comes to that kind of time. Yeah. And I remember I had it on the Blu-ray and I was watching it and I finished this film watching it on Netflix and both of them 163-minute cuts. There's not a theatrical There's no theatrical there's no cut director's cut, final cut, theatrical and cut. I, I originally thought I'm watching the Blu-ray <laughs> version, I'm watching a director's cut. That's why it's 163 minutes. Oh, okay. there's, no way, Interesting. there's no way this film's 163 minutes naturally. Like, I thought I'm getting the extended, I'm getting some extra scenes, but no, I'm just... The film is naturally 163 minutes and I'm like, mm. just as well there isn't a director's cut, I would be like... Three three hours twenty minutes at this. Well, point. I mean, this this definitely is the director's cut. The amount of scenes that do play out and and, and, and linger. I I, I, I can and I appreciate I appreciate it exactly. Like it's exactly right. We're getting a pure Villeneuve experience here. Mm. You know, everything that's in the film he wants in the film, so he can't do what Scott did and go. Ah, oh, well, that's not the film that I would have put out there for right. fifty years or whatever. No, thirty years, thirty years of him <laughs> complaining nonstop about that's not the pure Blade Runner cut I wanted. There's a great um, segment in the Blu-ray bonus features where he's talking about audiences being shocked by the aesthetic of it, mm. and then he just immediately, in like half a second, he flips from being reflective to immediately just being like, you know, screw the audience, they didn't get my vision. It was I got to show you the clip. It's hilarious. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> um, like, whereas this one, it's like, no, they let the film breathe. They they gave us, yeah. he gave us exactly what he wanted to. So if people didn't like it, then it's like, well, there's no excuse anymore. It's, mm. you like it or don't like it. And people, like you, like you said, it's like from a screen grab point of view, it's cinema. Like, we ever want to talk about cinematography and like excellent cinematography. Of course, we're going to cite Deacons. Like at this point, it's like, of course, we're going to. Like the man has produced countless great works with that stuff, but I'm with you. It's like the the end of the day, it's 163 minutes and the plot of the film is they're looking for a kid between a replicant and a and an ex-Blade Runner and yep. that's it. That's the plot. The motivation for Wallace is they want to obviously study it so they can elevate replicants to a, a point where they're more human than ever. Fine. That's a very fair corporate agenda, I guess. Um uh, I think Wallace's character doesn't nearly respect, uh, nearly have uh, the same effect as Terrell, mm. um, who was, you know, this all father being. And I think what it is is the stakes. I mean, Rooker Howard's um, Roy Batty was motivated by the fact that he was going to die. It was an inevitability. Um, yeah. Well, he wanted more life, and he had a he had a goal that we appreciated, and we don't really have that villain in this film no because Kay spends most of the time thinking he's a replicant and then for a 30 minute period thinks he might be human and then gets that dream completely shattered and then yeah sacri- well, the, the twist is that there is no twist <laughs> essentially yeah and um, his arc is basically learning that he's not special in this story or in this world which i think you could make an argument is a very meta arc for your protagonist in a Blade Runner film because we didn't it's, exactly think, or at least I didn't I think, mean, the plot and the character of the original was all that. It's about the story and the world building. Yeah. But it's especially not great in this film. Yeah, I, I think Kay's arc is actually quite cool in a way. Yeah. It's it's subversive. It doesn't. It's the ability to be like, yeah, like you said, it's not all tied in a neat little bow. He's not the hero of this story. He's just another member of this world trying to kind of navigate and find meaning and purpose and honestly um ailments for loneliness and Mm. and drive for any sort of drive and 
Um, I think that's fair, and I think that's a that's a good arc that he goes on. Does it need two and a half hours to get that point across? <laughs> no, it doesn't. Like, um, the the fact of the matter is, it's like Ryan Gosling is very stoic in his performance, and it's a really well directed performance because you get exactly what you want out of his performance. Um, and I don't really know. And the few times he gets to emote, it it does juxtapose really nicely. Right. Um, like in sort of that memory center that he goes to he yeah. sort of has that outburst and it's like okay that's, that's the cool. memory center that seemingly comes out of nowhere too by the way um, okay this is interesting just, um, I don't I really don't just like the film that much I think the I actually found some of the editing a little jarring at times um, oh, okay some weird weird cuts particularly in, in scenes where something didn't look like it was I remember there was one time when he's walking away from the house and it's one shot and then it cuts to the thing being in fire on fire in the background and i was like that that shot of him walking away didn't look like he was walking away from a fire it just oh like interesting it was okay odd but the sound mixing is just next level good in this film okay i think i really appreciate the sound mixing um yeah it was interesting because like the, the phenomenal well that's the thing is like because i remember distinctly especially in la downtown la like those screeching tires coming in like every 10 seconds and is that sound, is that like diegetic world or is that mm. the score? And I thought it was interesting. I didn't really have one thoughts one way or the other, but I thought it was an interesting way to do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I get it. Like the sound mixing and stuff. Like it's very technically interesting and like it's sci-fi. So you kind of have that extra edge. Yeah. Let's make some interesting sounds. I think Villeneuve really wanted to explore the world. Like he really was infatuated with the world that Scott created in the original Blade Runner and really wanted to not only put his own spin on it, but contribute to this world. And I think that the film's length, honestly, comes out of the fact that he really wanted to explore elements of the world that just elements of the sci-fi world. I mean, mm. I think Anna de Armas's character gets a lot of screen time given what Anna de Armas's character is. You know, she's Joy. She's this AI... Um, companion yeah, companion companion um, ai basically that um is just an artificial girlfriend uh what do they call what did you say a uh, waifu or whatever no that was yeah, morgan that was Morg- me uh, morgan's a, wa- <laughs> a waifu. waifu um and it's like i think her performance is great in this but she becomes there are points in time where she's literally intrinsic to the plot like she you know ends up coming with k in, in a lot of places and yeah um See, this is where I'm 50-50 with the film because she... You're, you're right. She is integral to the plot in, in ways. Mo- mostly just telling him, like, no, you are important. Go back and, and check again. And then he checks again and that, you know, proceeds with the plot. And, like, in, in that regard, it does. And I get it. And it is integral to him not... I mean, you saying the lonely aspect is, like, that clicks for me a lot. Like, him being lonely, not wanting to be lonely. And it ties into the end his decision to not shoot himself, that you go and help Deckard because, you know, well, Deckard seems lonely. He's got his dog companion, but, yeah, you know, I feel like I'm in a little well, I think the world place. Is, uh, but... The whole world really fleshes out isolation and loneliness. Yeah, like, every yeah. character in this bar, maybe, you know, Jared Leto's, um, Wallace's character is, is openly, in some way, vulnerably lonely. Like, um... Deckard is is isolated by himself. He's mourned the loss of Rachel and and really lived in just isolation for the last three year, uh, 30, uh, 30 years. Mm-hmm. And Kay, you know, overtly, it's very obvious. You know, Joy 
will never have a body and the closest thing she gets is this you know this little sort of tech wand that projects mm. her and um a lot of characters in the world are very disjointed even the characters that are very minute and there's no this world seems to be absolved of love and affection you know even the chief mm. at one point when he's talking to Kay is is offers herself up kind of as a, you know for a, some form of human connection with Kay and he just completely dismisses it and yeah i i, I totally get that and, and this is the thing like she joys tied to that plot and to his arc of, of realizing that he's not special. I think that's, for me, that's what I sort of interpreted it as. Yeah. But she's also tied to another problem that I have with the film, specifically the way she's used. And I sort of joked earlier about how, and you're probably right, that's not her actual nude body, especially the hologram. That's mm-hmm. probably like a double or something. But yes. regardless of that, when I talk about fluff, because I think this film has a lot of fluff and it's overly long, I think a lot of the decisions made from Villeneuve or the decisions made period about this film were solely, uh, I think they're they're sort of phony, and I think made to just be artsy fartsy to the point where I usually don't complain about that in films, but this film tries so bloody hard to be art. And you talked about the original Blade Runner being art, but it also doesn't try that hard to do it. It has like interesting visuals and and the aesthetic yeah. and everything. This I think film early goes- early Scott definitely. I mean, all of Scott films have incredible biblical. Um, connotations and and clear um, allegories in them, but he never tries to be oh, like uh, some of the moments of over profoundness and beauty that come in the original Blade Runner. Pure moments of cinema magic actually came from the actors in the moment. I mean the yeah. the the Rooker Hauer Roy Batty monologue, the Tears in the Rain thing, was something he came up with. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, so one of the most iconic scenes wasn't even by the director. It was by one, the actor trying to give a more puerile performance. And it makes it feel more natural. And then when I see this film with the extended time, like, it, you're right, it's trying to be an epic, even though it doesn't have the story yeah. to serve the length. It's trying to be overly sexual. The amount of, like, sex in this film compared to the first one is ridiculous. And I kind of hated almost all of it. I think the scene when she's trying to, to sink with the other girl. I think there's there's interesting ideas in there, if not a rip-off of the scene from her. But overall, I thought the, the abundance of sex, and I, I get it, we're in a lonely it. world, it's ridiculous. And it kind of... I don't want to say it comes out of nowhere, but it's it's not... That presence isn't in the first film. Either way, you have actors that every 10 minutes there needs to be a scene of emotional outbursts and almost every character, including Harrison Ford, has a scene where he's tearing up and crying during this monologue... And all of that with these extended scenes that feel like they're only extended just to show off the visual effects. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we have that scene in the initial Blade Runner where Deckard is in zoom and enhance, zoom and enhance. But there's something about that that feels gritty and to the world. While mm. in this film, when we see K going through a database, it feels like the film's just showing off visual effects. And that's the only reason that scene is 10 minutes long. Mm. And it's just like between that and the overuse of sex, the 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 ridiculous number of you know monologues, they're crying. This is the Oscar moment, the length of the film. This all felt like fluff to me. It felt like it's trying to be way more artsy than it has any right to be. Mm. And I think that's ultimately my biggest problem with this film. And I think, as far as I think, Joy is an interesting character, and it, it is essential. I I do agree with that for the plot and for Kay's arc, but the way she's used. 
and just the overabundance of sex and all of this other fluff in the name of artistry, it feels inauthentic. Mm. And I was shocked at how much of it there was. If if that makes any sense at all, what uh, I'm saying. I do have my problems. My problems lied more with the fact that um, I think this film just... It, it, it's t- it was a tough sell from the opening when they had the big text brawl and I'm like, mm. oh boy, we have to... They're retconning a lot of things. They had to introduce... Was well, that a retcon? Not though? retcon, sorry. They had to, because of the 30 years, they basically had to get rid of the old corporation, replace it with a new right, corporation. Okay. Replace Basically... Um, to my knowledge at the time, Terrell was the only one who knew how to do replicants. So the whole point right, of bringing okay. Wallace's character in was a little bit of a retcon to some extent. Um, you know, this guy seemingly comes out of nowhere, buys the company and also knows how to make these replicants. And then, then <laughs> in, even in the text brawl, they go, oh, the lifespan, these new replicants don't have like, like they're, they're, they have normal lifespans. They don't have eight years like the original ones right. did. Well, um, I, I mean, you could argue that that, I mean, that's the whole thing with the first film is they were, their lives were expanding. And that yeah. certain, like like Rachel, certain uh, de- uh, deviancies, certain replicants were starting to achieve a longer life. So I can yeah. buy that. Yeah. Even and and, and obviously it plays into Wallace's character. He's trying to make these replicants the most human they've ever been. Right. Yep. Obviously with finding Rachel gave birth, the whole point was um, to, you know, obviously get mm. that kid and, and study it. And, um so i get the i get that i just think that the 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 little intricacies of the first one were what gave the themes and meanings that more like Mm. like we talked about it the fact that roy batty has this limited time and all he wants is more time yet our main character is a is a drunk alcoholic who kind of honestly gets completely nerfed his character gets completely nerfed in in 2049 like he has (laughs) I don't want to say he has no personality, but he has next to no personality. Like Deckard at this point is just kind of a bro. Like he's he, and I know he, he wasn't. Uh, he you know, more traditionalized noir tropes means he wasn't meant to be likable in the original, um, or yeah. even have that much of a personality in the original. But in this one, it's like it feels like a different personality, though. It does. It feels like a more, like I said, more nerfed. Like he's not. I, I mean, if we talked about it on the show, that scene when he's, you know, he's making love to Rachel, it's kind of an uncomfortable scene. It's not mm. meant to be pretty. It wasn't elegant. It wasn't Hollywood romantic. It wasn't hungry eyes playing in the background while like a deep <laughs> blue uh, light was playing. You know, it's yeah. like a, something. It's, it's, top... it's definitely a scene that doesn't hold up in that way. Well, is it? No. It's, it's very uncomfortable. <laughs> And and obviously we talk about like you you know you're talking about the the over sexualization this film mm. has and this film goes for a more traditionally romantic scene a sex scene between Kay and right. and um and Joy uh, you know obviously with the with the prostitute being sort of the stand in and um and it's it, it honestly and like you said there is a lot more of it and and sexualization and and that is a bit um jarring at times it's jarring, for sure yeah. Um, I think the the worst part this the film this the thing that suffers this film is is it's actually the biggest thing is its antagonist. I think um, Terrell wasn't the antagonist of um, Blade Runner. Uh, at least he it's sort of a bait and switch. You mm-hmm. know, um, Roy Batty is technically it, and his scene where he kills his master is a very powerful scene. Yeah, and obviously. We, Wallace doesn't get any comeuppance in this film. Whether that means they were planning on potentially doing a sequel, maybe like to this film. I know film. Warner Brothers have dropped like little short films 
And I know Jared Letters in some of those. Mm. There are official Blade Runner short films that take place from this. Mm. I haven't seen any of them, but that's it, something. Honestly, the way this film ends, it's open. The idea is there, sure. in my opinion. Yeah. Like, I mean, the way the film ends is very open-ended. You, Deckard isn't out of, uh, you know, the... the Out of the woods. Out of the woods. <laughs> um, and obviously... You He's know, in he, the snow. You know, he meets his daughter at the end of the, mm. the, the, the film, and... I, I just think Leto's character is just kind of weak. Like he's, he, like you said, he's this biblical, overly biblicalized Jesus character who is just so. I don't want to say, for lack of a better term, wanky. Like he just kind of is. I've kind of said that about this film. Period. Many, many times. I didn't want to use it, but I'm going to use it. This film's wanky. Like it really is. <laughs> it. It. I don't disagree with you. The art, like the art yeah. house sentiment. I really like the score in this film. I think the score mm. is excellent, and the cinematography is, is. But this is kind of how I felt about 1917. I kn- I know the cinematography was great in that, but there's not a plot in that film really either. Like, well, there's no a- there's no arc. Two guys have to deliver a message, or a bunch of people die. That we we know that the plots the the plots uh, the the call to actions in the first five minutes. And yeah, I guess it's the pacing. I have watched that first opening ten minutes from 19. 19- 17 i do like it it's mm. just feels more like a video game at longer goes there's quick time events like when the plane goes crashing through the barn it's like x to dodge <laughs> it's just what i'm thinking yeah look i i, I don't agree. i love 1917 but um i think what I, I do understand your point though is that the visuals they 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 weren't a good mm. shield for what is meant to be a better story which doesn't exist i'm sorry it doesn't the story in this is so thin and again, I'm going to keep saying it. The script was 60 pages mm. shorter than the film is. How many times did they go back to the Dave Batista you haven't seen a miracle okay. line? I think it was at least four yeah. times. I wonder if Dave Batista argued for that himself. Can I be in the movie more? I reckon <laughs> when that... When he put on his little glasses, <laughs> one of the funniest visuals. <laughs> I reckon that's what he wanted. He puts, just wanted more puts, of himself. Puts them on for a minute and then takes them off when he's ready to fight. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, I, I mean, I, that's the thing. I think the film was in love with its world a little too much. I think that's yes, a- yes, you know what? And I think, I think it, it, it bought into the pressure. Like I said, it's daunting to be asked. And to I direct. think Dune is going to suffer the same fate. It could. I think, I think for me personally, because I have, I haven't read Dune, I haven't seen the David Lynch film, but it's not a sequel. This is a sequel. There, there are more rules you have to abide by, and I think with Dune. Yes, you could totally fall for that trap. You're right. I think it takes itself too seriously. Yeah. Um, this film does at least. Um, it could for Dune, but I also think I might like Dune better than this simply because I have less expectation of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've never been that excited. I just feel like this, has got a, this film had a bit of a tenant effect, you know? Mm. Like, it just, like, I mean, with this one especially, I think it loved its world too much and it ended up just trying to take any physical moment to explore and show the world off and then forgot that we actually had to tell a story and we're not in an yeah. open world game where we can go and explore explore the world at a whim and it's, then yeah. get back to the plot it's when just, we feel like it. It's a lot of fluff and, and I've said this before to people, the reason, because I might seem a little, I feel like some of the stuff I'm saying is hypocritical, but there are differences. You know, it's like I said, with the motivated lighting, the spotlight through the abandoned hotel, that's motivated. The fact that all the hallways are just orange because the the uh, the technician installed orange LED lights in the corners. That's not the same to me. I'm sorry. It looks great. It looks aesthetically pleasing, but it's it yeah. it doesn't do it because it's not. I don't. Why is this suddenly the world? You know, even again when we're in downtown LA, that looks more like the original Blade Runner. Yeah. 
sort of the, those Chinese marketplaces and the the hologram advertisement. You have like Sony and stuff come yeah, up. I like, like going that when they consistent. go to like the junk pile part. And yeah, then, and it's they, like a dirty future. And when they go to Vegas to find Deckard, and yeah. the orange is motivated there. It's the orange hue off the desert, you know? Yeah. Like sandstorms and stuff, you know? I get it there. Yeah. yeah. But then you go into like the Wallace headquarters and, oh, look at all this symmetric things. And like, oh, look, the light from coming through the windows, it's just moving for no reason. I like that he's blind and he has all of this like very chill pool stuff. It's like, you can't <laughs> see any of this. The waves, the waves on the on the walls. Why? Like, oh, yeah, the water is literally reflecting off the walls. Yeah, yeah, I get that. But why? Mm. Why did Villeneuve say, I want the lighting to be like this? You know, what, where, where's the actual motivation? When the light is changing shapes mm. and it's casting through the windows, the original film, it's motivated because they asked to, to change the blinds mm. in that scene. And that's why the light changes is because the characters asked to make that change happen. But no one's asking for the lighting to change. Yeah, yeah it just is. It's it it kind of I don't know, and then those extended scenes where yeah he's on a database or, I mean that uh, like I said I think it's an interesting scene that sort of pseudo sex scene where, where Joy's trying to sort of sink, it's interesting, but, with the exception of that scene the most of the scenes that do that that extend and and let things play out oh check out how the world works look at this process being happening in front of you, it's not like in Portrait when they you see these extended shots of them you know, tracing and drawing on the portrait that is not only creating tone, but it is telling story when they do that. Yeah. And it's doing neither of those things in this film. I, I, I can't, I don't know. There is so much that I was severely disappointed with. And if you ask me, what do I, uh, like what, what is, what about this film do I think is like incredible? Don't know if I could even answer that question. Wow. It's tough. Um, I mean, I'm just going for my notes here. I didn't know that Polka Dot Man shows up in this film yeah, and in Prisoners. It's absolutely destroyed. <laughs> uh, um, oh, yeah, he does too. Like, almost immediately. It's pretty funny. <laughs> should have should have vision, envisioned his mum. Yeah. Yeah, mm. exactly. Oh, I'll ask about the ending. We already talked about Deckard mm. meeting his They play daughter. the Roy Batty theme when Kay's died. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, see, I didn't realize Kay died in that scene. I I like read it after. I was like, oh, I guess he died in that scene. Was a bit ambiguous. Wasn't yeah. like uh, he was dying. I yeah. think that was. Um, that make, that so what? Makes what's sense. your inquiry about the ending? No, I was just gonna ask. What did you think of? I guess Deckard making it, meeting his daughter. I guess the fact that the daughter turned out to be sort of the memory maker in that scene. Well, you mean the one other character in the film, basically, <laughs> gets introduced. <laughs> that um, doesn't die off, I guess, yeah. I do like the callback where he finds out it's not his memory and the reason she reacted was clearly because it was her memory. Yeah, that she yeah, realized. that was good. That, that was, was a really nice. clever callback. Um, I just think that that's one of the only examples in this film of, of world building and expanding the lore that I really liked. Mm. Like seeing her with this sort of lens-looking thing, creating memories, like... That is a wonderful way to expand on an idea from the original film, the yeah. idea of implanting memories. I really liked it. And I even liked the way it was visual. Yeah. But it also doesn't take 20 minutes to show that scene. They did it in a kind of, in a sort of uh, conservative way, if you will. Mm-hmm. Where it was kind of snappy. I don't know. The ending The ending was what the ending was, basically. I mm-hmm. mean, yeah. I don't really know. Like the whole, the, whole, the whole thing was like, oh, you, you could have let me drown. And it's just like, and then when Kay goes, oh, well, you did drown. Like you're dead now. Like, how's how's Kay gonna report that? Like, he doesn't work for the police or anything. Like, 
there's no real proof of Deckard. If there's no body, like yeah, um, and I think that's why the the film has that kind of weird open ending where it's like the film like quite easily could be a sequel to this, like Deckard and his daughter on the run. And um, to be honest, it would, I, at this point they probably have to get Harrison Froman a Walker. Like <laughs> he's still going, he's still, still going. Indiana and to be, Jones I give him props. That fight scene was actually half decent for someone who was in his eighties. Between him and Ryan okay, Gosling. Yeah. Okay. No, that's fair it's enough. It's an 80-year-old fighting. I mean, come on. No, no, no. I, yeah, I, didn't, I didn't think it looked Maybe awkward or anything. Maybe Clint Eastwood could duke it out and see what, who wins. Yeah. <laughs> just like both of them. Like... I had the son choice in there. Although there were some weird son choices throughout. Like I really music. liked... But that was the other thing. It's like, like I said, they really liked their well-building so much that I feel like sometimes scenes just existed just to be like, look at this cool sci-fi thing we're doing. Like Elvis and Marilyn Monroe, they're all changing yeah, songs every yeah, two yeah, seconds. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, and it's a really cool scene with at least good motivated lighting, like the stage lights. Uh, yeah, see up. that they, that's fine. Like I'm not saying every scene is unmotivated, but but in general. But it's... then there's a scene where he just watches. I think it's what Frank Sinatra for like two minutes just performing. And you're just kind of <laughs> like, okay, cool. What is this Fallout? Like, are we just watching? Yeah, yeah. Fifty. <laughs> yeah, 50s and, lo- and like like I said, I feel hypocritical saying that because I like when scenes breathe and things are explored. But something about this film. It, it felt like it was doing it for the wrong reasons. Two hours and 40 minutes is a long time, Jake. And if you don't yeah. have that much of a plot in two hours, if no. you've got an hour, like 148 minutes worth of content and you're splitting that over, you know, you know, another hour longer than the amount you're writing, like, it, that's rough. Yeah. Um, I just, I think, I look, I get the idea of, of letting this, I mean, it's this, yeah, it's 108 pages. That's a, that's a pretty succinct script. It's still... Mm. It's not even two hours, so well, I think that could because no, the original if the Blade antagonist of this hours. film is love. Like, if she's the main antagonist, quote unquote, she's a very weak antagonist. Unfortunately, she's not given yeah. nearly enough time, and it's kind of baffling, confusing whether she wants the baby for herself or she wants it for Wallace. Because there are moments where it feels like she doesn't like Wallace at all, and yet by the end of the film, it's all about her being the best replicant. Mm. Which were kind of like, where did that come from? What when did you what, when did you turn into a Terminator, basically? <laughs> like, yeah, see the stuff with the stuff with Dave Dave Batista, that stuff with Wallace and like the the, the chase to find, I guess, you know, sort of the chosen one story, if you will. Mm-hmm. I just didn't care about a lot of that. Yeah, yeah, it's just sort of and and even the all the stuff with with Joy, it felt sort of wedged in there enough to make sense that it was there. But again, I think it was representative of just a bigger problem of, of fluff and, and sexualization for the sake of art. Fair enough. Yeah. Are you ready to move into your highlight scenes? I, I guess so. <laughs> what was your highlight scene, Jake? Um, I wonder what Dave Bautista's highlight scene was. <laughs> you know, one day he's just going to come in and just Bautista bomb you. Oh, God. God. I, I, he loves himself too much. I can't even. Um, <laughs> I, I'm gonna. It might have to be the scene... Um, with the with the the memory maker, because that was just a it was a cool expansion of the lore and the universe that felt correct. It felt right, and 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 her performance is good too. You're right though. Like the, the so many, they're good performers in this film, but like just in terms of like their motivation, and everything going on, there's not, there's very thin across the board. Yeah, I I think it's that's pretty much you're hitting the nail on the head. I I can't pit one of them as none of them even give bad performances at all. They just it's like you know, you take that Dave Batista scene. It's not a bad scene. His acting is not terrible in it. And, I just like making fun of him. Um, 
but it's equi- that scene is equivalent to his performance in Spectre. It's a blink and you'll miss it kind of scene, you know? Right. It's like Inspector. I'm pretty sure it's the same year, isn't it? <laughs> like where he's in that. Probably, per, yeah. Like, that yeah um, right. And it's like I like all the stuff with Anna Diama in it, but it's like not a year or two later she's doing the Knives Out stuff and we can really see, you know, her flexing, entertaining and compelling storytelling to complement her acting. Um, mm. And, you know, it's like in this last year alone, you know, we've had things like Ammonite and stuff where it's like, it's not, the actors can't just get you over the line. It's got to be a compelling story. And if it's not a compelling story, then tough, tough bickies, basically. Um, um, mm. best, yeah, what's your best, scene? Um, yeah, does, yeah. best scene is probably, it's probably maybe even the same scene. Um, I like some of the sort of world exploring stuff um but now i'm thinking back on it it's like probably probably his our introduction to vegas that sequence of okay. really still shots is quite gorgeous and, and lovely and the is, fight is scene, that the is that the bees when he puts his hand or is that a different the bee, scene? yeah the bee, that yeah. is the bees okay that's a cool scene um or like the bees. fight <laughs> sequence where you know harrison Ford's just wailing on him like rick's just wailing on him and he's just not even flinching and then he, he does say, he's like, well, we could do this or we could just get a drink. And I was yeah. like, oh, I like that. That's, so. Yeah, that's neat. That's fun. Yeah. I mean, those twists work of him, of the, them having that conversation, but you thinking that Kay is the son. Yeah. And it's interesting that Kay doesn't just come out and say, I'm your son. Um, probably a good thing because... <laughs> wouldn't have to, Yeah, exactly. It would have been a gone well. awkward afterwards. Yeah. I think it's because they're both apprehensive towards each other. Yeah. No, that's fair. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't think it was out of character or anything. Yeah. I mean, what character, but... Um, but I just thought it was an interesting choice. No worries. Of well, interesting choices in this film. Blade Runner 2049 is currently out on Netflix. Yeah, so home release Netflix. is actually on Amazon Prime and Binge as well. Wow. And you can only buy it off YouTube. You can't rent it, which is interesting. I had to rent Prisoners off of your YouTube for two ninety nine. No dramas. Well, speaking go. of streaming, Jake, what's new to streaming platforms and cinemas this week? Well, it's a pretty big week, not for the fact that Paramount Plus just finally arrived. So that's what a whole... Is, what's Paramount Plus? It's just Paramount Films, oh, but okay. you can stream them. <laughs> Everyone's got to get on it, Zeke. Everyone's got to get on it. Is it free? No. <laughs> I was going to ask, are you going to get it? Well, I can read it slate if you want. Sure. Most of it's slate currently. And I think it's already out. It came out a few days ago, I reckon. Um, so the truckload of content that got dropped includes uh, films and film series like Mission Impossible, Indiana Jones, The Godfather, Transformers, A Quiet Place, Jackass, Goodwill Hunting, Harry Potter, Batman and the Dark Knight Trilogy, Lord of the Rings, Austin Powers, Pulp Fiction, The Hangover, Clueless, Anchorman, Top Gun, The Star is Born, Crazy Rich Asians, or I wrote Rich Crazy Asians. Is it Crazy Rich Asians or Rich Crazy Asians? Uh, I think it's Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah, I think I just wrote that wrong. Uh, and Grease as well as shows like Rugrats, Dexter, NCIS, South Park, Big Bang Theory, and Camp Coral, SpongeBob's Under Years. I guess it's a prequel. I'm not quite sure. Under so uh, Would that sound like something you're going to subscribe to, Zeke? No, yeah. not yet. Uh, maybe maybe when they start building up a bit of steam. Yeah, they are doing original content, but um, I haven't. I didn't read any of those out. Uh, coming to other streaming services this week, Netflix has Sweet Girl, which is Jason Momoa, has a devastated husband, who vows to bring justice to those responsible for his wife's death, all the while protecting his daughter, Isabella Merced, of Dora the Explorer fame, the recent live-action one. Mm. Um, so, uh, that I mean, we've heard that plot line before. That we have. <laughs> oh, man. Coming to stand this week is, ironically, Wind River. Look at that. Wow. 
little tie in there for Tyler. Taylor, not Tyler, Taylor Sheridan. Um, coming to Prime this week is Evan Almighty in Bruges and La La Land, which, you know, those are all those are all very good films. I like Evan Almighty. I do. I like Evan Almighty more than most. Um also, watched it in ages. Oh yeah. That's nah, it's not bad. It's a it's a wholesome biblical film, but it's 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 a, it's a Michael Scott doing his thing. <laughs> Shaving his nose for twenty minutes. Um and then in terms of new releases, we finally have Annette which was the big hit at Cannes earlier this year, starring Adam Driver and uh, Marion Coletta. Uh, I always mis- mispro- mispronounce her name. Is it Coletard? It's something like that. I... Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, that sounds right. We're going to go with it. Who respectively play a stand-up comedian and an opera singer. Uh, originally, the idea for this film was actually meant to be a Sparks album, but then it became a movie. Mm. So it's quite interesting. So I'm very keen to see this. It comes to Luna on the 26th, but you can see it on Prime for free a little bit earlier in this week. So that's pretty cool. And that's it for streaming cinemas. We have The Night House, which is a horror film revolved around a, wi- a widow. I almost said window. A widow who recovers, who begins to uncover the disturbing secrets secrets of her late husband. My God, that almost deserves me rereading it again. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel, we, have we both seen this trailer? For Which the Night House, it? it's a horror film. Yeah, I don't know. I've seen it, and it's, it's it looks interesting. The Cave is the dramatization of the story of the Thai youth football team who, in 2018, became trapped inside a cave. They were quick on the draw with that one, weren't they? <laughs> I'm hearing it's pseudo doco. It sounds odd, but but kind of a dramatization of it. So I'm, it's interesting. Respect is the musical biopic. Revo- uh, revolve. I wrote resolved. Man, I am just screwing this whole thing up today. Revolved around the uh, rise of singer Afia Franklin. I believe that's her Aretha first name. Franklin. Aretha Franklin. Thank you. And stars Jennifer Hudson in the role. And finally, this one's available right now. And we mentioned it earlier. Free Guy, which sees Ryan Reynolds as a bank teller who soon realizes he's an NCP inside a brutal open world video game and decides to make himself the hero of his own story. Uh, so yeah, I guess is that a spoiler that Hugh Jackman's in the movie? <laughs> I, I guess. Mean, I guess so. Maybe it's a cameo. It must be a cameo. Oh, that makes sense, because Ryan Reynolds... Yeah, that does make sense. Mm. Spoilers, everyone! <laughs> makes sense, actually. Yeah, yeah, it does make sense. In yeah. hindsight. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, yeah, pretty big week, actually. Yeah, that's a lot going on. What do you think of Free Guy? I'm keen to see it. I don't have any expectations of it, but I'm keen to see it. I know yeah. Tyker's in it. He's got yeah, some lines I, in it. I think he's going to be funny. I mean, let's be real. Yeah. Ah, he's usually funny. He's a funny guy. I, I think it'll be a bit of fun. Be a nice excuse to go to Hoyts, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I think it play. Oh, yeah. I think it only plays the Hoyts actually. So there you go. No dramas. Well, we're not watching any of those next week on the show. But Jake, what are we watching next week in the show? It's very exciting. We're watching Fallen Angels. I'm cool. 
Hong Kong set crime drama follows a hitman who is hoping to get out of the business. This goes against the wishes of his elusive female partner, who is also infatuated with him. So this is exciting. He's like, this is the first time we are going to have a guest on who not only picked the film themselves, but picked one they hadn't seen themselves. A bit of a risk. Yeah, it is a bit of a risk, isn't high it? High risk, high reward. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, we, you know, we've had Stephen on in the past, and he generally picks the films. Uh, that we go with all like you know Zachary K, Perry Watson, like oh they've all picked their own films, but they've they've seen them before. Yeah, you know they usually. I love this film, so I want to talk about this. But uh, this is a bit of a gamble on the part of Ricky Padek, who's going to be our guest next week. Very excited, and uh, yeah, we we we'll see, see how it goes. Had a lot of fun. Worked with Ricky on a couple of films. It's been nice. Um, very much looking forward to having him on the show. Um, yeah. It's nice to have a fresh new guest. Yeah, yeah, we've never had him um, on before, so. So Hopefully he doesn't he'll screw join the this class up. Of, <laughs> the class of 2021. Yeah. Um, would, yeah, he would be our first fresh guest this year. Look at that. Yeah. Suck it, old guest. No. <laughs> no we'd what love are you going to do this. about that, Stephen? <laughs> <laughs> well, we always miss Stephen. We have him back no, on Knowing him, he's going to hear this part of the podcast and only this part of the podcast. No, we love you, Stephen. Please come, come back whenever. Exactly. But until then, thank you for joining us for the Cinema Sideshow Podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. Catch you next week with Fallen Angels and Go Frio.